Good mornings, I'm Chris Hoax, and coming up today, Findlay Mayor Christina Byrne previews her upcoming presentation on the state of the city at the Chamber's Fresh Brew Business event this week, and we'll talk about how you can have a say in the future direction of our community. Also this morning, to your health for the final day of American Heart Month, debunking the myth that heart failure is a condition that only affects older people, and why it's not the same as a heart attack. And we have more great live entertainment to tell you about coming to the stage in the month of March at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. Executive Director Heather Clough will tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, February 28th, 2022. Today is Floral Design Day. It is also Inconvenience Yourself Day. I'm not sure why you would want to do that. I'm guessing there's a story behind that uh, observance, Inconvenience Yourself Day, but I don't know what it is. It is Chocolate Souffle Day, National Public Sleeping Day, National Public Sleeping Day, uh, National, <clears throat> excuse me, got a, uh, <coughs> got a bit of a, Excuse me, I'm very sorry. I've got a, a bit of a frog in my throat here this morning. <clears throat> Get things started. National Science Day. It is National Tooth Fairy Day. And it is Rare Disease Day. So reasons to celebrate and or observe important uh, things today. So here is the uh, latest out of the uh, whole Russia-Ukraine uh, thing. Apparently... <laughs> I don't know how much uh, play this story has gotten uh, on the news, but I saw it and I was like, oh, we got to mention this. Russian troops uh, seem to be taking the phrase sleeping with the enemy very literally. Ukrainian women in the city of Kharkiv uh, have been bombarded with likes and messages from Russian soldiers on the Tinder dating app. Ukrainian women <laughs> have been getting have been getting uh, responses on the Tinder dating app from Russian soldiers <laughs> because you know they're in the country now. Uh, one thing that the flirt and this is the reason why I laugh at this because one thing that the flirty soldiers did not consider is that the app is location based, and that means that the would-be romantics are giving away their military positions. <laughs> They're giving away their military positions. Many of the uh, profiles also show the soldiers in some form of combat gear. And uh, <laughs> so this is compromising <laughs> the Russian military action. Just because they're looking to get a little side action, if you know what I mean. Uh, Russian troops have been ordered to shut off their phones. <laughs> now, as a response, <laughs> we uh, keep hearing the stories out of uh, Ukraine that the resistance by the Ukrainian people, I mean, they're getting very creative <laughs> in their resistance, and that this advancement by Russian troops is not going as smoothly as perhaps. Vladimir Putin had predicted, and this may be why, <laughs> or it may be part of the reason why. I just, I that's awesome. That's all kinds of awesome. Undone <clears throat> by their uh, base urges. There, I guess. <laughs> uh, also, uh, this is uh, kind of interesting. This always happens when there is a, a major event, a major global event in the news. Apparently, the Simpsons predicted it. Uh, social media users once again are saying the Simpsons have predicted the future. The claim comes from a 1998 episode entitled Simpson Tide, where Homer is on a military nuclear submarine um, while Homer is on a military nuclear submarine, things go awry, and the episode reveals the Soviet Union never truly dissolved. Hmm. So it does seem to be a bit of a parallel from what, I mean, you have to, it's a bit of a stretch 
But the showrunner, The Simpsons, uh, calls the 24-year-old gag very sad in retrospect and adds that historical aggression never really goes away. They have to be super vigilant for these things. That was uh, kind of interesting. It's always that is always a, a big thing. Whenever uh, something happens in the news, the uh, fans of The Simpsons say that they predicted it somehow. But sometimes you have to. It's a bit of a stretch. Anyway, here is speaking of news. Among the first things you need to know this morning, one of the other uh, items here that I saw on the uh, newswire. Uh, CNN has named a new president to replace Jeff Zucker, who uh, recently resigned after an inappropriate affair with a subordinate came to light. Consensual, but still, it went unreported, and that was improper based on CNN corporate rules. So Jeff Zucker is out. You knew that. Chris Licht has been chosen to replace Zucker as president of CNN. He is currently the executive producer of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. I'm interesting. Apparently, and this is according to media reports about uh, Chris Lick's hiring, uh, Axio says that the plan under his leadership is for CNN to return its focus to hard news and reduce its left-leaning partisan programming during primetime. The change is expected to happen once Discovery acquires Warner Media in a merger set for April. And according to Axios, Discovery CEO David Zaslov, who is taking over CNN, shares a view with a new executive producer, the new president uh, of the uh, channel, that CNN was trying to boost primetime ratings at the expense of the overall brand. And in other words, their left-leaning partisan programming during primetime has hurt the brand of CNN. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and uh, basically, uh, the uh, ratings, they say the ratings are secondary to CNN's credibility. Credibility is more important than ratings. Uh, Mr. Zav- Zaslov and uh, Mr. Licht want to move CNN back to the political middle. And uh, so... We'll see how that goes, if they can overcome the uh, reputation they have uh, built over the past several years uh, for being a strictly left-leaning media outlet, and if they can get back to more of that idea of uh, impartiality. So, But that's the goal. So we'll see. Uh, the New York Times, speaking of uh, ownership stake in... Things ownerships taking uh, things taking uh, changing hands. New York Times now owns the uh, wildly popular word game Wordle, right? And some players are saying that it is now harder than it was before. The Times says the only change that they have made since acquiring the game is removing a few words that they thought were too obscure. So. They say they've actually made the game a little bit easier. So why do people think that it's harder? Well, mental health expert Rachel Coart says it is human nature to want to blame someone else other than ourselves when something goes wrong. <laughs> said you could just be on an unlucky streak. And uh, thus you have maybe formed an opinion that the New York Times, because it's a sophisticated paper with notoriously difficult puzzles to solve, like their crosswords, so since they now own Wordle, people have made the leap that the game is more difficult than it used to be. So, but they say that is not necessarily the case. It's just that you've been struggling with the game lately and you're on a, a cold streak. So but a lot of people seem to be. Well, that was kind of interesting. Time says, no, we've not changed the game at all. And uh, how about this? Among the first things you need to know. This morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories. This is one that is certainly buzzworthy and uh, worth noting. A Canadian teenager has set a Guinness World Record, had it confirmed this past week. He spent an hour and 12 minutes solving 211 Rubik's Cubes while bouncing on a pogo stick. (laughs) 
It is now the record for most Rubik's Cubes solved while bouncing on a pogo stick. (laughs) Saul Hafting is his name. He is 16 years old of Annapolis Royal. Uh, Says he trained on the pogo stick for about three months before attempting the record and that he started solving Rubik's Cubes about six years ago. You put those two things together, voila, as a new Guinness World Record. And I'm thinking to myself, and we know that teenagers in Canada have nothing else to do. <laughs> How poor do you have to be? Say, I'm going to solve 200 Rubik's Cubes while bouncing on a pogo stick. <laughs> but there you go. Hey, he has a record and I don't. He has a world record and I don't. So I guess I, I shouldn't judge. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly sunny skies today with a high of 38, partly cloudy tonight, low of 32. Finley City School Superintendent Troy Roth is leaving the school district to become the new superintendent at Bellevue City Schools. Troy said it was a difficult decision and it came down to what was best for his family. Bellevue is closer to the area where my wife and I are from and where we grew up and uh, where majority of our family and friends are. And it was just an, an opportunity for us to get back closer to home and, and be around family. So Troy said he's really enjoyed his time in Finley. His three kids all graduated from Finley High School, and he believes the district has made great strides. Get more of our conversation with Troy on the website. The number of new COVID cases went down dramatically again in the latest numbers from Hancock Public Health. The health department is reporting 31 new cases for last week, and that's down from 94 new cases for the previous week. Hancock County is down to averaging around four new cases per day, and community transmission in the county, as defined by the CDC, was lowered to moderate down from high. Cleveland, which is home to thousands of Ukrainians and Russians, is reacting to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Ukrainian flags installed by the city of Parma and Cleveland leaders and county officials issuing a joint statement with Global Cleveland and the Jewish Federation of Cleveland condemning the attack and also noting, quote, Cleveland is home to a beautiful, vibrant community made up of thousands of Ukrainians and Russians, and we will continue to be a safe, unifying place for those seeking peace and prosperity. That's Imani Abraham with Owen and Affiliate WKYC-TV in Cleveland reporting. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine declared Sunday a day of prayer in Ohio honoring the people of Ukraine. The governor and his wife Fran attended Sunday church service at St. Andrew Ukrainian Catholic Church in Parma to stand in solidarity with Ohio's Ukrainian community. The governor also directed state commerce officials to cease the purchase and sale of all vodka made by Russian Standard Vodka, which is the only overseas Russian-owned distillery with vodka sold in Ohio. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now our cover story this morning, Finley Mayor Christina Mern is with us in the studio. Coming up tomorrow, she will uh, be presenting sort of uh, an abridged, uh, a Reader's Digest version of the <laughs> State of the City, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term, at the uh, Chamber's Fresh Brewed Business uh, event. You actually did a uh, similar presentation for, what, the Rotary, I think. Yeah, I'm kind of making the ago. circuit kind right making now. Making the rounds. This isn't like the <laughs> official State of the City address. Uh, well, you know, that's kind of to be determined. Mm-hmm. Um, when we do the state of the city address, we don't typically get a whole lot of folks that show yeah. up. So yeah. I probably will do almost like a virtual state of the city kind mm-hmm. of recap of the year. The budget in brief also kind of recaps a yeah. lot of it. Um, you know, the the big things are talking about our capital plan um, and things that were achieved last year. So kind of to be determined if we're going to do a formal in person. The the fact that the there's uh, not a whole lot of uh, I guess attention paid to the state <laughs> of the city, that may actually be a good thing. It's maybe an indicati- indication that things are going well. If there were a bunch of issues to confront, then maybe For there sure. be a and, lot well, and, and my goal is that ho- you know, hopefully folks feel that we're communicating with them throughout the year. You know, when point. we're talking about the year in recap, it's all kind of stuff that folks should be aware of. I I know one of the things that you're going to focus a lot on, and uh, as you did uh, when you spoke to uh, Rotary, was the uh, strategic planning uh, process. And I can get to that in uh, just a moment. But aside from that, what are some of the other highlights uh, that 
uh, will be worth pointing out. Yeah, so 2021 was a great year. Um, and our team really, I feel like, focused on internal operations. And not to say that, that we don't typically do that. Mm-hmm. But as I was putting together the presentation, I was like, there's not really anything super splashy, right? We were just really focused on hunkering down, accomplishing a lot of the things that we kind of postponed in 2020 just because of the uncertainty mm-hmm. um doing a you know me kind of getting my team established because i had quite a few changes there which were good and bad certainly going to miss folks but wonderful to have a good team that i've really built um and, and so really we were focused on internal operations and we were fortunate to be able to add to our cash reserves again which is great um recognizing that again you know prices of everything are going up right. and um our operations, my goal is always to have a put us in a position where when we do start to see an economic downturn, which is going to happen, the economy is cyclical, it's never going to just continue to go up, mm-hmm. um, to not have to make hasty changes, being able to weather that storm and make adjustments. Um, going into 2022, it's really focused around um, longer term capital planning. Um, we have uh, some good projects that we should be kicking off. Obviously, phase two benching that we're working with the county on downtown to do a downtown recreation area. We've selected a firm to help figure out how we can better utilize that space. Um, working on strategic planning, moving from a five-year to a 10-year capital plan. As part of that capital plan, we're also working with all of our departments to really say, what are your facility needs? Um, because we're really to the point in a lot of our buildings where we need to start updating them. And it may be minor things like updating the restrooms and all of you know the municipal buildings, mm-hmm. making those ADA compliant, different things like that. But also longer term plans. I, again, not a whole lot of flashy stuff there, right. but things that need to be done. For sure. Uh, sooner um, rather than later. It's interesting. You, uh, you mentioned the uh, benching and uh, obviously completing that. There was a, a report, uh, I think, last week that uh, there may be a little bit of a snag in completing that with uh, the last uh, couple percent uh, uh, of the project. Yeah, so that is for the phase one project, um, the the one property that is still kind of going through the court process with eminent domain. That's for the phase one benching. So it doesn't um, hinder phase two at this point. Um, but phase two is delayed slightly from because of property acquisition in that area. But you're confident that that will uh, proceed through the course of this year as planned, maybe a little bit behind schedule. But right. Yeah. We were hoping to forward. break ground on phase two benching this spring, but I think it'll be at least this fall, if not next spring, unfortunately. But I'm really keeping my fingers crossed that next fall we'll be able to break ground. The other thing you mentioned, uh, and, and this is a point that is well taken, maybe forgotten, uh, the city, just like everybody else, uh, is impacted by inflation uh, and oh, we've yeah. certainly seen uh, you know the the numbers uh, on that it's affected families and uh, affects municipalities <laughs> such as the city of Findlay as well how concerning is that uh, given where we're at and what the projections are you know overall I'm feeling all right um, because one a lot of it was supply chain is supply chain related and we're starting to see that ease a little bit so you know, end of last year, early this year, we definitely were seeing delays in supplies. We're still seeing some of that, um, which was also then leading to extreme, you know, cost inflation. I think our, some of our piping and different things like that were going up 30, 50, 60%. Um, so that's a huge impact on our budget. On, and, and what well, we and that's, that's what I was going to say. How does that impact the budget, uh, the cost of the things that you want to do or the ability to complete some of the projects you want to complete? Yeah, there are three things that are really helping us in that area. First, because we do typically plan out significantly ahead so that we're purchasing materials ahead of time that has allowed us to get slightly lower costs. Um, two, we've, we had to factor that into our budget. So it definitely is impacting it um, because we're going to have to do a couple less projects than maybe we would historically do. Um, and then three, you know, good and bad. Uh, there are a lot more federal and state dollars currently out there to help with those projects. Um, so we're definitely taking advantage of that to help offset some of our costs felt here locally. As we mentioned, the big focus of uh, all of the state of the city presentations, <laughs> and this will be the case at the uh, Chamber's Fresh Business event uh, tomorrow, uh, is the uh, uh, strategic planning uh, process. The idea, and we've talked about it before, mm-hmm. how uh, average every everyday citizens, how we all can have a say in the future direction of the community, and those uh, sessions are about to get underway. Yeah, so certainly, you know, everything that we do within the city, we want to have it um, 
be well thought out and planned. And we've definitely been doing that. But when we're talking about the strategic plan um, in a larger sense, this is the kind of the largest scale strategic planning process we've gone through in quite some time. And um, early April, the week of April 4th, the 6th and 7th, there are going to be a couple of different in-person workshops that are available for everyone to participate in. Um, And we would really encourage that. This is our first round of communication. There'll be a couple of different rounds that will occur. And these are really listening sessions. Our um, strategic planning firm, Planning Next, has a number of different questions. Folks will be broken down into groups. um, And they'll sit there and work and kind of process through the questions and give us their feedback and comments. Um, and it's really important for us to hear from the citizens. What are the the hot button issues that they care about? What are the things that they want to see in their community in years to come? You know, I, I've said it a couple of times. We didn't get to this point in our community and being in a strong position, being, you know, a world-class community by accident. It, there was a lot of intentional policy structure and leadership that occurred to get us to this point. And we want to make sure that we're set up for that 5, 10, 30 years into the future. And once you get that feedback, then what do you do with it to make sure that that people don't feel as though you're just paying lip service? Yeah, so there's there's two things. So the, the process that we're focusing on is we really want to focus on issues that are the responsibility or in the purview of city government. However, we recognize that a, a lot of issues the city of Finley intersects or plays a role in in some way. So we want everybody, we have a big funnel. We want everybody to give their feedback. What do you want in your community? And then as we sort through that, then we're going to identify what are the things that the city of Finley government really plays a part in. Um, and then we're really focused on people, policy, and process. Um, you know, That's kind of what the, the firm has said is, what are the policies we need to have in place or remove to help with address that issue? How do we set up our people and our structure um, to be able to meet those needs? Um, How do we really make sure that we have the appropriate processes in place? And I think it'll go beyond that a little bit. Um, But then there's also the responsibility that I think is, you know, we haven't really defined it, but I think it's largely going to fall to me. If there are items that are identified that are not specifically the responsibility of city government, but they're still important to the success of our community, Mm -hmm. then they're going to kind of be in an appendix document that say, these are not specific items that we're going to address, but here's how we, the recommendations we received on how we may be able to help the schools or healthcare or whatever, you know, whatever that may be. And then, you know, my, one of the great parts of my role is I get to help and work with everyone in our community um, and can help move some of those initiatives and forward. More of a holistic approach uh, with respect yes. to that. I'm sure we'll talk much more about this uh, as the uh, process w- works its way through uh, the process. So, uh, not the last time we'll talk about this, but uh, again, the uh, uh, mayor's uh, state of the city presentation, if you will, the uh, chamber's fresh brewed business event uh, happening tomorrow. And uh, Finley Mayor Christina Mern, thanks very much for dropping yes, by. We and appreciate folks it. can find out information about the strategic planning process at Finley Forward plan.com. We've got it linked up at our webpage as well. Mayor Mern, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. having me, Chris. Well, of course, again, February is American Heart Month. Uh, obviously, the tie-in is uh, is pretty easy to see. And one of the things that we've talked about, heart disease, we want to talk about heart failure uh, this morning. It is a leading cause of death uh, around the globe and uh, affecting over 6.2 million people in the United States. But this can be a manageable condition. We are joined by Dr. Philip Adamson, Divisional Vice President and Chief Medical Officer of Heart Failure at Abbott Laboratories, and uh, Tiara Johnson, uh, who is a uh, young mom living with heart failure. Dr. Adamson, I want to start with you. What are some of the symptoms to be aware of and some of the common misperceptions that people have when it comes to heart failure? Well, Chris, let's start with the misconceptions because uh, that can really trick us. Uh, we sim- we many times think of heart failure as a disease of the elderly, mm-hmm. and uh, in fact, we're all at risk. And to miss the the signs or the telltale signs that your heart's damaged or struggling uh, can can lead to catastrophe. So, what what are those symptoms? The the heart uh, really does support us well when we exercise, and so many times. We feel shortness of breath when when we go up a flight of stairs or do minimal exertion, and that abnormal shortness of breath is is very important to recognize and not to blow off. Uh, other things like fatigue, 
swelling, all of those, when you put it together, suggest that the heart's damaged or, or is struggling. Uh, and uh, again, as you were saying, this is the most common misperception is this is something that only affects the elderly or it's a, a, a byproduct of aging. Uh, Tiara, obviously that's one of the reasons why we want to bring you into the conversation. Uh, you are, are proof that that is not the case. You were diagnosed at the age of 25. Tell us a little bit about your story. Yes. So Chris, I developed postpartum cardiomyopathy after giving birth to my second child. Um, Unfortunately, I went undiagnosed for two months after giving birth because doctors kind of dismissed it as normal uh, post-pregnancy symptoms. And so um, when I was officially diagnosed, my heart function had declined to less than 10%. And over the next three years, I would undergo multiple procedures and different medications to try to get my heart to improve. But unfortunately, it just didn't recover And it was at that point that I was referred to the University of Michigan Advanced Heart Failure, where I will receive uh, my CardioMEMS device as well as my HeartMate 3. And, uh, you know, I'm so very grateful to have received those because it gave me a sense of hope and quality of life back until I received my heart transplant in November of 2021. Wow. Uh, So obviously you knew something was wrong. Something's just not right here. But when you get the diagnosis that it is heart failure, what did you think? I mean, I would imagine you're probably like most of us thinking that it can't be heart failure. I'm too young. Oh, absolutely. That was my initial thought, you know. I'm, I, you don't think of heart failure in an otherwise um, healthy young patient. And right. so I'd always had that thought that, oh, that's, you know, an older person's disease. And so it really took for me to take the time to ad- ad- educate myself, you know, actively participate in the management of my care. And, you know, it was then that I discovered that, hey, this can happen to anyone, not just older patients. And it was at that point that I decided to take control of my health care and be proactive. Now, uh, Dr. Adamson, uh, as uh, Tiara was uh, kind of alluding to, and you mentioned uh, before, we were saying this is a a treatable condition. And that's maybe one of the other uh, misperceptions or things that people don't uh, quite understand is that uh, heart failure is not an event it is a process so how do you address this uh regardless of uh patient's age well chris you're 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 spot on i tell you people think of the diagnosis heart failure as a hopeless situation we have tremendous opportunities now to not only intervene early and and the heart's amazing it can actually improve if we are able to fix the underlying problem that's causing the damage uh, but if, if heart failure is established, we now have uh, uh, opportunities to monitor people very closely. For example, at Abbott, we, we developed a, an innovation called CardioMEMS, the heart failure system that is permanently implanted. It's a tiny little sensor that sits inside the body permanently, and it can telemeter out to physicians in from home um, information about how the patient's doing, and that information is higher fidelity information than what would be uh, obtained in a face-to-face visit in the office. Hmm. So now we can remotely manage, we can remotely monitor patients who have heart failure and catch things long before symptoms develop, uh, be proactive and prevent uh, hospitalization, decompensation, and other problems that people with heart failure uh, have. So uh, circling back to the point you made earlier, early detection and taking the symptoms seriously, again, regardless of age, is going to be key to successful management of this. You're right, Chris. It's in both preventive as well as secondary prevention and understanding how people are doing because there's so many things we can do now. Uh, for example, Tiara had the HeartMate 3 left ventricular assist device pump, and it, uh, it, that saves lives. It, it, it helps people uh, have, regain their life, but it's important to time that properly. So monitoring patients carefully and knowing what those options are uh, is incredibly important at every stage of this disease. Now, this is uh, maybe a bit of a sidebar, but I'm curious, as we mentioned, this is something that affects more than 6 million people in the United States alone. Uh, and and given the fact that you know successful outcomes uh, often depend on early diagnosis and management, how has the pandemic impacted uh, the you know all of this in terms of diagnosis success rate that kind of thing? Yeah, it's 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 really 
honestly, the way healthcare is delivered, uh, frankly, the healthcare community had to jump into the virtual management concept very quickly when the pandemic hit because people couldn't come to the office. Right. People couldn't come to the hospital. And so the innovations, like we mentioned, like cardiomets, for example, if a patient had that, then they would be able to manage that patient in their own home, with, again, with all this information that would be uh, provided by the, by the sensor. So, so medicine has changed, and I think it's changed permanently, uh, such that many patients will now have the opportunity to, uh, to, to have virtual management. And, you know, and frankly, devices like Hardyman's makes, makes distance irrelevant. It doesn't matter where you are. You yeah. still can connect with very important information with your doctor. Yeah. TR, I'm going to ask you to sort of put on your patient advocate hat here for a moment. What would you say to uh, someone uh, who uh, has recently gotten this, uh, this diagnosis and maybe wondering what the future holds? The first thing that I would tell them is the diagnosis is not a death sentence. Um, there is the possibility with all of the new technology and medications out here to uh, get your quality of life back and, you know, resume your daily living. You have to be proactive in your health care. You are an active participant. It's not just up to the physicians. You have to play your part. And so um, that's very important for patients to know. Again, February is American Heart Month. Tiara Johnson is a uh, young mom living with heart failure. Dr. Philip Adamson is the Divisional Vice President, Chief Medical Officer of Heart Failure at Abbott. And you have a a section of your website uh, dedicated to more information about all of this, right? Absolutely. It's called uh, cardiovascular.abbott.com, and it's uh, full of information and questions and answers about heart failure. To your health this morning, thank you both for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Actually, not a whole lot in the broken news file this morning. There's the story of the 16-year-old girl from Connecticut who is behind bars. After thinking she could get away with using the famous five-finger discount on a brand-new iPhone... Unfortunately, the store owner had a problem with that, (laughs) and so did the police, as it turns out, Uh, especially after. Now, here's the thing. Uh, This from Darien, Connecticut. Uh, This girl is not named. She's underage. She was was not named in the report, but apparently she walked into a uh, an Apple store, uh, grabbed a new iPhone 12 that was on the counter and just walked out. The owner followed her out of the store and uh, tried to, well, I guess it wasn't an Apple store. It was just a, you know electronic store. Anyway, the owner fo- followed her out of the store, tried to get the phone back, uh, but things escalated. A fight broke out, and instead of uh, just doing the obvious thing and dropping the phone, ending things then and there, she pulled out a can of mace and pepper, well, pepper spray and <laughs> sprayed the store owner uh, to uh, make a not-so-clean uh, getaway. Uh, but karma, uh, after she was identified on, uh, security footage, security camera footage, uh, police ended up tracking her down, knocked on her door and led her away in a nice new pair of silver bracelets. Uh, Been charged with robbery and are remanded to a juvenile detention center. So don't do that. That's, that's kind of extreme. Not only did she get caught then she uh, pulled out the uh, pepper spray and pepper sprayed the store owner. That's not what the pepper spray is for, actually. That's, anyway. Uh, then there's uh, this story of the uh, woman in Connecticut, another one uh, from Connecticut, uh, this from Stamford, where a woman by the name of Latoya Huff uh, says she didn't realize she was speeding. And that's, you know, that's happened to all of us, right? We get, uh, you know, you're just cruising down the highway and... You, you're kind of in the zone. You're not really maybe paying as close attention as what you should to your speedometer. And suddenly you see a police officer and you look down and you're going way faster than you think. And maybe you get pulled over. It's happened to all of us. In this case, the 36-year-old woman, Ms. Huff, <laughs> was was clocked going 127 miles an hour. <laughs> In a 65-mile-an-hour zone. (laughs) 
Now, I would think, again, I, we've all had that happen, right? Where you are going a little faster than what you realize. But I would think if I was going 127 miles an hour, you'd know that. You would know <laughs> that, that you're going faster than the general speed of traffic. And maybe you're exceeding the, exceeding the speed limit, posted speed limit. Uh, this was on I-95. Um, and uh, she was actually uh, tracked by aircraft. Uh, the police uh, aircraft doing routine traffic surveillance radioed uh, officers about the uh, vehicle and authorities pulled her over. They wrote in the police report, quote, she did not realize she was going that fast. I don't know. I'm not, that's what she claimed. I got to think if you're going 127 in a 65, you know, she was charged with uh, not only speeding, but reckless operation and is uh, due in court next month. <laughs> um, this from uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and this is just man. You got to wonder about uh, some people. Tamara Megan Lee, age 42. Uh, had a very interesting comeback when police arrested her for allegedly driving under the influence. She said, quote, I'm quoting here from the police report. I'll get away with it because I'm white. She was arrested by Officer Ronald Connor, who is black, and he wrote in his report that uh, he arrested her based on the likelihood that the offense would continue and due to the defendant being a danger to herself and others. He had she was very intoxicated. Officer Connor described in his report that Ms. Lee became very irate and would not listen to verbal directions when asked to perform a field sobriety test inside the vehicle in plain sight. He noted there were several alcoholic beverages ranging from seltzers, beers and IPAs. Uh, aside from being arrested for uh, DUI, she also faces charges of violating the implied consent law for refusing to do the field sobriety test. She has a court date next month. As well, but I'll get away with it because I'm white. Actually surprised her name isn't Karen. But anyway. <laughs> and uh, finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, how about this? I saw this uh, on the uh, Newswire over the weekend, and I thought, my goodness, a rare Pokemon card has a new home for a record-breaking price, 1998 Pikachu Illustrator Holo promo card sold for $900,000 in a recent auction. Uh, Golden's auctions said the 34 bids for the card drove the price to set a record for the highest public sale for any Pokemon card. $900,000. And here's the thing. The card was only given a 7 out of 10 rating for its quality. So it wasn't even mint. It wasn't even pristine necessarily. 900,000. That's how rare apparently this was. And I can hear a lot of people saying, gee, why did my mom throw out all my Pokemon cards? You know, that's uh, I can see a lot of people now getting very angry with their mothers for throwing out their Pokemon cards when they were kids. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. And now time for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. You know, on Fridays on this uh, program, we feature recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. My wife, Kyra, joins us in the studio and we talk about, uh, share some recipes uh, that uh, she's tried and uh, ones that uh, some of her favorites. And and my wife is a great cook. I She is uh, she is great in the kitchen. Um, whether it's, it's cooking or baking or anything, I mean, she's just, uh, she's just great. But even, even my wife, I don't think would be this bold. Uh, a new survey 
of 2,000 adults, one poll survey by, of 2,000 adults, finds that 63% of home cooks believe that they could compete on TV against professional celebrity chefs. <laughs> 63% of us. 63% of home cooks think they could compete. Really? You could compete? You think you could take on Gordon Ramsay and Bobby Flay and all of those? 63% believe that they could uh, compete on TV against professional celebrity chefs. We apparently have a very high opinion of our cooking skills. They also found that 62% believe they are good enough to have their own cooking show on TV. <laughs> uh, okay, then. Uh, 62 or 66 percent, two and three, uh, believe that they are good enough uh, to open their own restaurant or catering business, which that may be true. Um, but you know, to compete, uh, to have your own cooking show on TV, or to compete <laughs> against the big boys, uh, in and girls, um, that's uh, that's pretty bold. Uh, in another result showing the self-assurance of home cooks, two in three, uh, again, roughly 66% said that they like to study the food and the restaurants that they go to, and 63% believe that they could improve upon those recipes. <laughs> Which, I saw that and I thought, well, that kind of depends on what restaurant you're going to. I mean, uh, if you're going to a five-star restaurant or something like Nancy's, something like that, uh, as, a pair, as opposed to, I don't know, say Taco Bell. <laughs> Heather Klo is with us from the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. Time to talk about uh, more great live entertainment coming to the stage. The MCPA in the month of March. Actually, the month of March is uh, a bit light uh, in terms of big, big things. I mean, you've got a couple of big shows coming up in April, but uh, uh, a lot of uh, more local productions. Uh, yeah, so it's sort of, of community and education month marches, mm -hmm. which is exciting. I mean, it, yeah, it's not the big flashy shows, but yeah. it's great because, you know, MCPA is a community space. Well, and that's one of the things that uh, actually gives us the opportunity to sort of highlight that because, I mean, I, again, people think of, you know, the big shows and the, the ones that, oh, I've got to get tickets to this. Uh, and like we said, some of those are, are certainly coming up. But a lot of what you do, maybe the majority of what you do, is community-based uh, for kids and adults alike. Absolutely. Uh, we have a strong education program. In 2018, we merged with the Arts Partnership, mm -hmm. long-time Finley organization. Right. So we have a full education program with workshops and, and youth theater, which is coming up this month. We mm -hmm. do two productions a year with youth theater. And this right now is grades three through five, and they're doing Madagascar Junior. I saw that. Madagascar yeah. Junior is coming up here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, in, in yeah. Less than two weeks. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's 60 kids on and off stage making this show happen. It's really exciting. And, you know, they're there for, they rehearse there, but like this two weeks is theirs. And mm -hmm. they're sort of in residency, and there's kids everywhere. And it's, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I, I would imagine, too, it's a lot of fun for the kids to uh, be able to, you know, have that experience, uh, you know, knowing that these are, uh, this is a professional venue. These are, you know, you're not, it's, it, it's not like putting on a school show, which is great and that's important, but this kind of takes that to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think back to my first theater, you know, performing experience was my Brownie Troop Snow White. It certainly wasn't on, you know, a professional level. Right stage with all the bells and whistles so mm -hmm. it is exciting to get kids on there and for the backstage kids i mean i was a, i'm a techie mm -hmm. so you know i love providing that opportunity for kids that are interested in that to see you know how a professional soundboard works and and how to to what extent are the kids involved in that uh in that aspect of it because again we see the kids who are on stage and performing but there are a lot of kids that are involved behind the scenes as well absolutely you know and that's part of the program that we've really been trying to grow um, so, you know, we have uh, stage managers that are kids. They're all overseen by adults. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, in every right. aspect, they're, they are involved and, yeah. and learning about the industry. Yeah, because uh, the theater doesn't happen without those people behind the scenes, uh, you know, doing the sets and the lights and the sound Absolutely. and all of that. Yeah, and if 
we're doing theater right, you're not supposed to think of those people, right? It's just exactly. magic. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so Madagascar Junior is coming yep. up here on yeah. the 11th. The 11th 12th, and 12th. Right? Yep. Yeah. There's a Friday night and a Saturday matinee. Okay. And uh, tickets are available. You yeah. can get those now. Yep. At the- All the normal outlets right on our website. Pick your seats and... We still have some left. A couple of other things that are uh, happening uh, on the stage. You do have the, we were talking, uh, I guess, last week, I think, about the uh, Community Read Program. Yes. uh, And uh, you'll be hosting the uh, feature event. Yeah, uh, we are. So it's, the book is called The Yellow Wife. um, And the author will be there on stage. And we do that right at at MCPA and Donnell Theater. And it's usually a packed house. Yeah. Which is, I'm a reader, so it's exciting to see all those people yeah. there for an author. <laughs> and that is really going to be a, an interesting presentation. So do not miss that. Again, tickets are available now. Yes, absolutely. And you can get them at the uh, MCPA website. Uh, you have uh, at least one, I think, Live at Arms uh, performance coming up this month. At the month? end of the month, yes. Yeah. So our March is uh, Damn Tall Buildings. They're sort of a new grass band. They're okay. a lot of fun. New grass. What does that mean? So it's not real traditional bluegrass, okay. but it's based in bluegrass. So it's the younger generation of bluegrass basically i saw them at a conference in this tiny little hotel room and their energy just like blew the doors off the room i'm looking forward to getting them here and again uh that's the live at arm series which is a much more intimate setting than the main stage it is yeah i sort of liken it well maybe i want to liken it to like the bluebird in nashville so you know tables small stage we've got a cool neon light Mm -hmm. (laughs) um nice vibe in there and the music is is all really good but you may not have heard of the bands but Mm -hmm. they're fantastic well, it's a great uh, opportunity, again, like the Bluebird, to discover uh, you know artists that you haven't heard of before, right? And uh, give them a, give it a give try because it it's not that expensive. You know, it's not a hundred dollar ticket; it's mm-hmm. a, anywhere from fifteen to fifty dollar tickets. Yeah, <laughs> not bad. Uh, you also have a an exhibit uh, this month in the uh, Fisherwall Art Gallery, which again is something that maybe people don't think about, uh, but is always open. It is, yeah. Whenever the building is open, it's open, and we rotate exhibits through, and once a year, we get the Ohio Watercolor Society Traveling Show. Mm. So it's the best watercolor artists from around the state, and they are amazing, like, you know, I think of watercolor and I think of those sort of washed out looking things. You I did think of what school. I do in yeah in kindergarten. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> these these I mean they're portraits and it's just amazing what they can do with that medium. Yeah, and it's there through the thirty first of through, March through in the entire month of March. And uh, again, that's free admission. It is. Yep. Just come in anytime and check it out. Good stuff. And uh, again, the the building is is open. Absolutely. Uh, everything is starting to get back to normal. We were talking before we went on the air. You said uh, starting to plan. And I know it'll be a while before we announce, you know, like next year's uh, uh, season of shows. But how great is that to be able to start making those plans? It is. It's really exciting yeah. to start looking and thinking, OK, this this is going to happen more like, more like normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to wait too long because March 8th, we'll be announcing our summer shows. Ah, including okay. an exciting announcement about Boogie. Okay. So, All right. So we look week. forward. We look forward to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, with respect to that, in terms of planning for future shows, is that also getting easier on the artist side? I mean, I know that there have been, and we've certainly seen it uh, with uh, postponements and uh, adjustments and requirements uh, being placed on uh, performing venues and and so on. Is that getting back to normal? Is it getting to be easier to for them to commit to shows as well? I think so, yeah. Travel is still a little bit of an issue, um, especially if they're Canadian or overseas. It's mm. still coming up a little bit. Um, but yeah, the conversations have, have shifted back to what more like what they were like before 2020. Um, people are still cautious. You know, we get a contract sure. rider with every contract and, it, you know, with all the requirements. And now there's a, a COVID clause in there that was never there before Mm -hmm. but yeah it it seems to be getting easier so knocking on wood right now (laughs) yeah so uh does that mean that that maybe looking ahead uh again you're talking about summer shows we're before too long we're gonna uh, be talking about next year's uh, uh schedule of shows Will that look more like maybe what is it has in the past? Yes, but um, <laughs> there's always we, a but. Yeah, so in June we'll be announcing the the, the season, but we're some planning some uh, programming model changes actually, okay. not COVID related, mm-hmm. but we've just been listening to what people really want to see on that stage, and it, it's caused us to shift a little bit. Exciting shift. I I'm, think people will be really pleased. Okay. Um. But yes, the the whole 
industry is looking more like what it did before. Yeah. Uh, And uh, again, as we were saying, uh, this is so much more than just the the big uh, blockbuster shows. So much is going on uh, with the uh, Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. And you have the opportunity, people have the opportunity to get involved on that personal level. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you want to volunteer or you can rent the space. I mean, when people ask what MCPA is, I say it's a community performing arts center. I put the community mm-hmm. first because I, I truly believe that. I wasn't lucky enough to be here, but you all built that space. It's yeah. yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you you know, come look at the gallery, come usher, come have your baby shower somewhere. You couldn't actually <laughs> do what you do without uh, the community involvement. Absolutely. In, Absolutely. Uh, in that. And, and and there incredible. are opportunities, whether we're talking about youth theater, uh, there are uh, programs for adults. Uh, yeah, you know, we're doing and, some adult workshops. Yeah, so uh, there are uh, things that are going on. Absolutely. Uh, with respect to that. Yes. Uh, yep. You don't have to just come to a show. There's a lot of ways to get involved. Yeah, kind of what we're getting to there. And and you've got more information about uh, those education uh, and community programs and, of course, tickets available for all of the shows and so on yes, at your website. all on mcpa.org. We mentioned, and not to get too far ahead of ourselves, there are some uh, big shows coming up in April, including the Texas Tenors. The Texas Tenors, finally. Talking <laughs> about the big blockbuster shows. That's right. I know a lot of folks have been looking uh, forward to that has been postponed a couple of times yeah i think this is the fourth date we've had on the books but they are coming this time i'm they're, determined they're to get here. them here by golly we're gonna go and we're gonna drag them here whether That's you right. have to. uh but uh, again tickets are available but i would imagine going pretty quick those are going fairly quickly we still have some good seats left but yeah they oh they're all good seats yes that's true. <laughs> uh, we've got a link up at our webpage for more information about everything going on in the month of March and beyond at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. Again, Executive Director Heather Clow with us uh, this morning. Heather, thanks very much for dropping by. We Thank appreciate you. the update. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, of course, and that is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, the Christian Clearinghouse Garage Sale Fundraiser is back. We have details on the return of one of the community's most popular charitable events. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.